First Coast Connect with Melissa Ross is sponsored in part by Baptist Health. This is WJCT News 89.9 in Jacksonville. Opinions expressed on the Friday Media Roundtable are those of our panelists and do not necessarily reflect the views of WJCT News. More drama in the Jacksonville mayor's race, local city council races heating up as well, and why millions are being spent to bring a UF satellite campus to town. Some of the stories making headlines this week. Good Friday morning. We're live with you from Studio 2. I'm Melissa Ross, and this is First Coast Connect. Thanks for listening. Just ahead, all the top stories of the week with our Friday roundtable, and you can join us. Give us a call. It's 549-2937. Then later, rev your engines as Monster Jam returns to Jacksonville this weekend. We'll speak with one of the drivers. That and more all ahead. But first, this hour, it's Friday. And here to round up all the week's news, we welcome Jacksonville City Council Member Randy DeFore. Good morning. Good morning. David Bauerlein of the Florida Times Union. Good morning, Melissa. Regular contributor Fred Matthews. Good morning, Melissa. And Tim Gibbons, editor of the Jacksonville Business Journal. Good to be here. Good to have you all. And we are live on the radio, also streaming live video right now on Facebook and YouTube. Watch along there and give us a call. Join the conversation at 549-2937. Okay, it's election season, folks. Have you registered to vote? Some of you have already voted. And there's lots to discuss about the race for mayor and city council races. Let's begin with the mayor's race. New evidence came out this week into a city council committee looking into mayoral candidate Leanna Cumber's role in the botched attempt to sell JEA. Cumber is a city council member herself. Now, emails and text messages that have been made public appear to suggest that Cumber took actions as a council member that benefited a bidder, her husband Hussein Cumber, was advising during the failed attempt to sell JE off, JEA off to Florida Power and Light's parent company. This new evidence was submitted to the committee by Aaron Isaac, who once worked with Cumber and is now communications director for Jack's Chamber CEO, Daniel Davis, who, by the way, is also running for mayor. Cumber's attorney says the emails and texts show that the JEA City Council Committee investigation is more about politics than getting to the truth. It's 5492937 as we talk about this. Already getting your calls. David Barreline, you reported this story. How did all this come to light? Well, what happened was the special committee invited uh, the public to provide any documents that may be of interest to their investigation, set up an email that people could send those to. Uh, Aaron Isaac and a law firm representing her then sent in this tranche of emails and text messages between herself and Hussein Cumber, the husband of city council member and mayoral candidate Leanna Cumber, back in 2019 when Hussein Cumber and uh, Aaron Isaac were working with a company that went on to put in a proposal for privatizing JEA. Mm-hmm. So then uh, once those documents were put forward, the uh, special committee discussed them somewhat on Thursday, and then they will become part of a final report that will come out, uh, I think, early March. March 6th was when that report will be done, and March 9th they'll vote on what to do with it. Five four nine two nine three seven. 
Uh, attorneys for Leanna Cumber have called the city council committee politically motivated. It has divided the council. Randy DeFore, you are among those on the council who don't feel this committee investigation is appropriate. That, that is correct, Melissa. Um, you know, putting aside who you're voting for for mayor, what they've actually done is misused a, I would, I believe, an investigative function that is not supposed to be used against each other. Um, it's supposed to be used in terms of what, how it was done initially, you know, with the JEA. How did the privatization process begin? What happened? How did it happen? And how, how can we prevent it from happening again so that we can put forth legislation to ensure that, you know, to prevent it in the future? There is no legislation associated with this new sick committee. So in my mind, it's completely inappropriate. And what are your thoughts uh, about uh the way some members of the 19-member city council have said this is uh, an attempt to get at the truth. Others have, have, have taken your position. Uh, not everyone seems to be on the same page. Well, I think this. you need a—I mean, some of it is politically motivated. So the people that um, are for the committee, most of them have come out in support for Daniel Davis. Um, I, as you know, have come out in support of Leanna Cumber. However, again, I'm, you know, I'm going to put my lawyer hat on, putting that aside— I do, do not believe this is an appropriate vehicle. If you think that Leanna Cumber did something inappropriate, it should go to the ethics office. And the, the reason why I don't want it to go to the ethics office is because that would not be in the sunshine. You know, that would not, people would not be, would not know about that. And they wanted people to know about it. Um, and they wanted to know, wanted people to know about it because we have a campaign going on. You, you believe this is an attempt to damage her as a oh, absolutely. candidate? No doubt in my mind about it. As a matter of fact, the person who gave all this information, Aaron Isaac, works for Daniel Davis's campaign. You know, my question is, this is a, I don't know if you've looked at the package that was provided from Jimerson Burr. It's pretty, it's significant. I mean, a lot of money was put forth putting this together. And my question is, who paid for this? That is a good question. And we want your calls as we talk about local politics on the show right now. 549-2937. Here's a tweet from Josh. The ongoing JEA controversy between the mayoral candidates once again shows that to get to the truth, you have to follow the money. Paid consultants are a great place to start. Fred Matthews, what are your thoughts about that? Well, it's refreshing to hear it directly from an elected official uh, about what's happening <laughs> among other elected officials, because ultimately, I mean, the report, uh, if it follows the, the path that's been laid out, is going to be released just in time, surprise, surprise, just in time for the um, for the election next month um, to 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 you know put more on it. Most people that you talk to around the county had simply thought this JEA mess was put to bed, and uh, and they didn't expect to hear any more about it. But what this also says, yes, it is. There's no, no question that it's it's an, an intra-Republican fight to get their candidate on top. But what it also says is that the public will have to be on guard after the uh, elections are done, because there is an. This is an indicator that there are some people within and without the administration who are bound and determined to put JEA up for sale. And this may be a forerunner of that, but it's just unfortunate that we have to be sidelined with this non-issue uh, at this time, squarely 
to uh, to try to um, to call the Republican candidates in the race for mayor. It's five four nine two nine three seven. Let us know what you'd like to see the next mayor of Jacksonville prioritize. And Tim Gibbons, Jacksonville Business Journal. You know all of the candidates for mayor came out to a forum at the beaches the other day where they were questioned about how they would lead this city. And, you know, honestly, that is what the majority of the voters we're hearing from want to know. They want to know where do you stand on major issues when it comes to taxes and spending, public safety, uh, building up the river, improving infrastructure around town. Those are the kinds of things that the voters are, are, are wanting to hear from the candidates about. How do you deal with the environmental concerns Jacksonville is facing? Yeah. What do you do with downtown? What? How do you fix the city's infrastructure? All of these things that are within the mayor's control and um, are vitally important to citizens. And I, I think there's I, I, maybe I, maybe I'm projecting this into into your question, but there's a little bit of frustration with the idea that um, so far all of the the fur in the campaign has been over um, you know long ago votes that Davis made in, uh, when, when he was in the state legislature or, you know, a, a convoluted involvement in the JEA, periphery of the JEA sale process, possibly. Um, things that I don't actually think are what voters are trying to decide who the next mayor will be based on. Um, now, I'll say I, I'm always in favor of public disclosure. I'm glad that this information has come out. It's good to have more information about the people who are running for office. But I, I don't think that the something that requires, you know, hundreds of words to explain exactly what the issue is, is the thing that is going to, to resonate with voters when they are trying to decide who will lead the city. Now, all of that said, David Bauerlein, the fact that uh, this information is being made public and you're doing your job, uh, always doing it well by reporting what our public officials are doing, I think that proves that uh, the the consultants running some of these campaigns still see the JEA debacle as a potent campaign issue, even even years later. Well, right. And what started this was the Cumber campaign ran some attack ads against Davis about JEA, and, and his he had he, a tangential involvement in the in it at, in his role at the chamber because uh, a year before the sale got off the ground, uh, Aaron Zahn had a appeared at an innovation summit to talk about the challenges facing the electric industry in the future, which, by the way, one of the other speakers was with the Public Power uh, Trade Association on the national level, so it was not geared towards privatization at that point. Uh, but at, at any rate, uh, there was an ad by the Cumber campaign, the Davis campaign responded, and here we are. It's uh, JEA is still out there. I don't know if it's front and center with people. Uh, mainly because there's no active consideration right now of selling JEA, but I do think that people expect and deserve to know mm. if a person is elected. Are you going to be in any way, form, or fashion supportive of selling JEA? You know, we have invited all of the candidates for mayor to appear on this program. Some of them have. We'll keep asking them uh, as we move forward. And uh, Randy DeFore, Channel 4, will be holding a televised debate soon where people can really take the measure of these candidates and learn more about them. Yeah, I think it's really important. I think the thing that has been touched upon today that I, I agree with is let's see and hear each of their vision for Jacksonville. It's really important that we know what, you know, where they, what they hope to create 
and their leadership for for the city. Um, I do have to just, if you don't mind, David, you know, I was on the original SIT committee, and I know a lot about what was going on. And I would argue against what you said in terms of Daniel Davis's position. He was very involved in the privatization behind the scenes. Can you talk more about that, please? Sure. So what we found out was that, you know, there were kind of two times that the, the sale occurred. The one was um, in Lenny Curry's first administration, you know, the first four years. And then it happened. Remember, he stopped it and then he started again the second. And during between those two times, they were actively working with consultants, actively seeking help and start, you know, knowing that they were going to seek bids for privatization, even though they had told the community, as you recall, I, you know, remember Lenny got up and said, I am not going to put, you know, JEA for sale. Well, that turned out to not be true. His administration was working actively behind the scenes, meeting at the airport with consultants, <laughs> trying to find a way, uh, the process in which, the best way in the process to, to actually do that, to privatize the JEA. So, um, and they were using the chamber, I don't want to say launder money, but to, to move money um, in an effort to help kind of do, you know, to, to prepare people for this process. Um, Moving money how? They put about $300,000, I think, into the chamber. They also hired um, consult. They got the um, lobbyist, you know, things that you would normally have to go through a procurement process and it'd be very transparent. They were using the chamber for. So, you know, there are a lot of dirty hands here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's be honest about it. If we're going to talk about some one candidate, let's, you know, let's talk about the other. Five, four, nine, two, nine, three, seven. Um, Fred Matthews, as these two Republicans, uh, the two leading Republicans, or certainly the best funded ones, sling mud uh, in this race, uh, we should note Councilmember Al Ferraro is also running as a Republican. He's pulling ahead of his colleague, Leanna Cumber, uh, in the race right now. But the, uh, on the Democratic side, the two leading Democrats, Donna Deegan and Audrey Gibson, uh, have been pointing to all of this and saying this is... Uh, evidence that we need to make a change in our leadership in Jacksonville and get beyond this kind of uh, backdoor dealing, dirty politics. Is that a winning message for this March election? Well, it is, but the election itself will be a change from from um, from the, you know the past administrations. Um, it's a unique election in that we have how many? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. What we have one, two, three, four, five ladies that are running for the mayorship, which is a historical uh, point in itself. Um, it's also interesting that the both of these two, the, the two that are, seem to be fighting out the most, <laughs> spending the most money, Davis and Cumber, are also the two candidates who are least talkative, one-on-one. Uh, they have given virtually, except for at the very, very beginning when they announced their candidacy, they have been reluctant to talk with with the media one-on-one, uh, I'm sure it's basically because their consultants don't want them to be pinned down to anything, and we certainly won't get anything from them now with this going on. But all the other candidates have been fairly open, uh, have been good to talk with, uh, have been good in their forums that they've had 
have been excited excited to talk with the public. And I think people can see that. There has been a poll uh, that was released, uh, I saw it in the, I think it was in the Times Union earlier this week that indicated, of course, that um, that uh, this is not the inured to the benefit of either Davis or McCumber with this infighting. And um, I would expect that to continue because it just it continues to be more confusing. And ironically, you know, with Al Ferraro getting attacked, like uh, with the ads that he's been getting, is really kind of puzzling um, because, you know, he he's a, a fairly middle of the rotor uh, in terms of in terms of those Republicans that are running for for office. And has um, you know has has really stayed out of the fray, but the fact that he's getting attacked means that he has uh, garnered a great deal of support, and uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, how he polls uh, on election day. On Facebook, Martin says Cumber and Davis are both dirtied by the JEA scandal. Both have surrendered their credibility and do not deserve to hold elected office. Says one voter out there. Uh, here's uh, an email. Please mention that Corrine Brown is holding a forum tomorrow at Bethel Baptist Church in Springfield. It's an attempt to get voters talking about the issues, not things that happened years ago, like the attempt to sell JEA. Yeah, Tim Gibbons, uh, former Jacksonville Congresswoman Corrine Brown, who uh, was convicted on charges of corruption and served time, is now a free woman and has dipped her toes back into the local political scene. She is holding an event this weekend at Bethel Baptist. I actually thought that Facebook message was going to somehow try to tie her into the JEA sale. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, that, that, that's just too far. <laughs> um, no, I, I think there's a hunger among voters. I mean, you know, as I talk to business leaders around Jacksonville, and, and they're very concerned about the future of the city, where there is a feeling that we're at an inflection point, where, you know, as the population is growing, more businesses are moving here. And, and there's a sense of um, there's a need for a vision and a need to have a, a sense of what the future of Jacksonville should be. Um, I think one of the, the messages that you just read of that idea of the, the people involved in this fight are just throwing a lot of mud around, dirtying everybody who's involved. Because, I mean, you know, let's face it, the JEA debacle was a black eye for the city, and there were lots of people who were involved in that, and yeah, that 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 can be considered damning. How ex what exactly somebody's level of involvement is might not be the thing that voters care much so much about as yeah you know here are people who were pro selling JEA, and as the two camps swing that accusation at each other, it kind of damns both of them. If you're just tuning in, we want to know what do you think the vision for the future of Jacksonville should be. It's time to vote soon. We want to hear from you. Give us a call at 549-2937. And it is election season, and it is Duval County. So you know what that means, David Bauerlein. Shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of shenanigans going on. Let's talk about a couple of city council races, beginning with uh, city council candidate Charles Garrison. He's filed a lawsuit against fellow Democrat Nishan Hick, Nix, rather, and Duval election supervisor Mike Hogan. Reporting from uh, our partner, the tributary suggests that Nix may have violated the city charter by living outside of his district for the at-large seat he and Garrison are both running for. Garrison's lawsuit asked the court to decertify Nix from the March 21st ballot. 
Now, that's going on at the same time as this week there was this high-profile Twitter fight. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, District 7 Council candidate John Phillips, a well-known lawyer in town, drew a lot of eyeballs when he engaged in some Twitter spatting this week with supporters of one of his opponents, Jimmy Peluso. There was sharing of direct messages. There was trash talking. There was a lot of, uh, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Acrimony being shared on Twitter. And so, you know, I, I, where to where to begin? Let, let's begin with the uh, the Garrison Knicks dust up and whether Garrison can get this guy off the ballot by the election. Yeah, I mean, that should be a, sort of a black and white issue, right? Either you live in the district or you don't. Sometimes these residency things are are uh, harder to pin down, uh, surprisingly so, in terms of how to actually establish legal residency. But uh, it seems like the voters should not vote on somebody on the ballot who's not legitimately on the ballot if that's the case. So I would hope the courts can move quickly on it, and then uh, you can know. I mean, the worst thing would be to have an election, and then later he's determined not to be eligible. Not to what be do you eligible. Do? Then you got to do it all over again. We've had so many of these over the years. Uh, by the way, Charles Garrison is calling into the show. Charles Garrison, city council candidate at large. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to kind of call in and, and, and give my side of what's going on. Um, I, I shouldn't have to be doing this, right? And this isn't my job, uh, but unfortunately we're here. I want our neighbors to know me by my vision for Jacksonville, to build forward, to create a safe, vibrant, and welcoming city, not having to sue someone for breaking everyone's trust. But, I mean, this is the only option I have left. Uh, Meaning, last month, I filed uh, two complaints, one with the Florida Elections Commission and one with the Florida Commission on Ethics. Uh, But the worst outcomes for either of those will be fined after the election occurs. So the suit is, uh, we're asking the courts for a declaratory judgment, a writ of mandamus, uh, emergency temporary injunction, and all that uh, to decertify Mr. Nix um, as a candidate, because he does not live in at-large group five. And And even if he did, I was going to say, even if he did, which he does not, he changed his voter registration within the 183 uh, uh, consecutive days requirement. So there's absolutely no way he's legally qualified. And so I just want to move past all this, no more politics as usual, and just you know, build forward for our city. We'll reach out to him as well, but uh, any indication as to whether you could get relief before the date of March 21st, that's election day? I mean, we're hopeful. Um, you know, Leslie Jean-Bart is uh, the attorney representing me, and she seems very confident in our case, the, uh, the evidence that we have, and uh, our ability to get this taken care of before election day. Now, you and Nix are two of six candidates filed for the city council at-large group five seat. You are a Democrat. All Duke Duval County voters can vote for you or one of your opponents in this at-large race. If you were to be elected, what would be your biggest priorities on the Jacksonville City Council? Yeah, as I said, I mean, I my vision is to create a safe, welcoming and vibrant city. Ultimately, I'm tired. I'm tired of hearing about our potential, and I'm ready to see our potential realized. And how we're going to get there is by investing back into our city, investing in our infrastructure, in our neighborhoods, in our people. That is how we can achieve the vision of creating a safe, welcoming, and vibrant city for all of us. 
Charles Garrison, candidate for at-large Group 5, on the ballot in the city council race. Thank you for calling in. Thank you. Okay, so Randy DeFore, you're going to be leaving the city council. You won't serve with whoever wins these contests. Yes. But what about the sentiment we're hearing from a lot of the candidates uh, from both sides of the political spectrum? They're running on this message of let's restore faith in local government. Let's move the city forward. People are tired of the status quo. What do you think about that? I I agree with them. I mean, I it, again, I, you, I do think we're at a critical point in time that if we don't actively work to build integrity back into our politics, um, I think that's number one. And then from there, all the rest will flow naturally, right? I mean, if you have integrity and process, you don't have to worry about who's going to make money off of this deal or that deal. Your priority becomes what's best for Jacksonville. Do you feel the current leadership is corrupt? The current mayor, the, the things that have happened in the last eight years. If you're asking for my personal opinion? Yeah. My personal opinion is there's a lot of corruption in our city today. And it's disheartening. Do people that serve with you say that behind closed doors? Yes. Do they agree with you, but they won't say it publicly as you will? I think some will. I mean, look at Brenda Priestley Jackson. I mean, boy, what a great leader she is, and she's not running again. What basically is happening is the good people are being run off. Do you feel the same way? You just are tired of it all? Well, in my, you know, I felt like I came and did what I needed to do, and I felt called. I did not fall, feel called to run again. But the reality is, if I did run again, um, I think I w- they would have, I'm going to just use the bad guys, the bad guys would have put somebody up against me for sure. And the political um, attacks that you're seeing today in the, at the mayoral level would absolutely have happened in my, my race. And who wants that? You know, I mean, who wants to sign up for that? What good person that has you know, a strong background in any field and can make money doing what they do, who and was trying to serve their community, who wants to do that? That's what's very sad. And that's why I think this mayoral race is so critical. I'm very, very concerned about the future of Jacksonville. Thanks for being so frank about all of this on the show. I appreciate you doing that. And we want to hear from everyone at 549-2937. So, Fred Matthews, what about that, uh, you know, getting good people, ethical people to run for office, uh, people that are willing to put up with the kinds of attacks that they know they will experience is always a challenge. And as I mentioned, at the same time, uh, this week, uh, candidates running for office who haven't even been elected yet uh, have been slinging mud at each other on social media. Well, it, it's it's certainly not unusual to have mud being slung during a during an election campaign. I think everybody who runs for office kind of expects a bit of opposition. In other words, you know, there has to be a reason to tell people why they shouldn't vote for the other person. But what is getting apparently more unique here, and particularly with the uh, with the at large races, again looking at the mayor's race for one, is the nationalization of the race, 
this business of talking about immigrants and what a candidate did or didn't do to get immigrants here, and whether this candidate or that candidate supported the president or, or this candidate supports the other. And then we have, of course, what, 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 what just aggravates everything. We have a governor in place who is targeting local school board members all across the street, all across the state, as if that is really any of his business instead of concentrating on the, the business of the people here. It's, 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 it's good to hear an insider uh, like uh, Councilman DeFore talk, tell the truth about what's going on because out of all the candidates that, that I've had conversations with and interviewed with the issue, more than half of them say that the city government and, and many who's, who work in it are corrupt. And, and uh, one of the candidates running for mayor uh, cites this corruption uh, as uh, as his as an issue here for him. As a matter of fact, it's Al Ferraro who cites corruption as one of the number one issues for him running for mayor. And so it is something that you know the pub the voting public has thought about. But when, once you start hearing it from elected officials, you really begin to wonder what's going on, especially given all the money that we're spending and giving away. Here's an email from Elizabeth. I appreciate what you are all talking about right now, but can you talk more about the candidate positions or offer resources to learn more? Media coverage is always about scandals. We need to know where the candidates stand. Well, Elizabeth, if you go to jackstoday.org, we do actually have a voter guide on our website laying out where all of the candidates for mayor stand on major issues. Uh, Jacksonville.com has information as well. Uh, Tim Gibbons, before we move on, you know, people do want to make an informed choice. They want to research the candidates. Right. We actually, the Business Journal will have uh, next week, we're coming out with a, uh, a guide looking at their positions on, on some economic development and, and business related issues um, for that exact reason, because it, it is what voters want. I mean, voters, of course, the consultants say to focus on the scandals because it does, it grabs headlines, but it also does tell you something about the candidates' characters. And you know, frankly, scandals are part of what I think voters should take into their calculation as they're making that decision, but it has to be paired with what the vision is for the future. And um, I think this has been a you know a really frank conversation about that idea that um, if Jacksonville's leadership does not have a vision and if the if there is corruption in the process, that's that's not good, particularly for a city that is trying to to get to a higher level. Let us know your thoughts at five four nine two nine three seven. We're getting lots of tweets and emails. Uh, people aren't uh, excited to call in today, so call us up. Uh, by the way, let me quickly mention that uh, Council Member Jacoby Pittman, Democrat who's now in District 10 after redistricting changed the local map, officially kicked off her campaign this week. She used to be in District 8, uh, but she is now running in District 10. For those who live in that district, make note of that. Okay, another big story from the week we want to talk about. At least two downtown sites are being considered for the University of Florida's proposed Health and Financial Technology Graduate Education Center. That's a mouthful. <laughs> um, according to State Representative Wyman Duggan, Republican of Jacksonville, who serves in Tallahassee, people close to this project say UF is looking at land that's part of FSCJ's downtown campus and the fairgrounds near TIAA Bankfield. 
Duggan has filed a $50 million appropriations request. It would be added to $100 million in proposed city and private sector dollars for this graduate satellite UF campus in Jacksonville. The total tally could come up to some $200 million. $50 million in city support could be up for a final city council vote next month. As we talk about this, we want your calls at 549-2937. David Bauerlein, the mayor, announced this to great fanfare a few weeks ago. He brought in UF President Ben Sass, former Republican senator in Washington. And this is being promoted as a big fintech hub for the city, uh, helping increase uh, a skilled workforce. So there's excitement there at the same time. I think it's fair to say uh, other college campuses in town are not happy about this, in particular UNF. What do we know about how this came about and what this might mean? Well, I think it came about between discussions between the, the mayor and uh, UF uh, leaders. And then uh, at this point, there's a lot that's not known about this. We really don't know where it's going to go at this point. Uh, we're not sure how big it's going to be. Uh, We've heard from Lyman Duggan is 2,000 to 4,000 people would be there, students and faculty, when it's fully up and running. We don't really have a real clear timeline for when that's going to happen. Uh, as far as how it dovetails with other existing universities, I mean, uh, uh, it is graduate-level courses, so that's been the argument that that adds something that's not existing at, in terms of the undergraduate programs that are more geared at, uh, at UNF. But uh, you would have UF here as a another campus in town uh-huh. that, you know, would that detract funding from UNF? I suppose that's a legitimate question. It's five four nine two nine three seven. John emails the show. He's a UNF faculty member. Here's what he says. Curry's efforts to get a UF campus downtown is a huge slap in the face to UNF, a major state university already located here. And we have a downtown campus with established graduate level fintech programs, healthcare programs, and business management programs. UNF has excellent faculty, well-established in their fields, with ties to local organizations. And UNF could far better use the exposure of a major initiative like this and a 50 to $100 million boost of state and city money. Jacksonvillians should be questioning why Curry is ignoring our wonderful university. Okay, what about that, Randy DeFore? Can I ask you, Melissa, to read what Wyman Duggan, the description of that again, because that doesn't seem to fit fintech. Okay, yes. He has proposed a $50 million appropriations request that would be added to $100 million in proposed city and private sector contributions for this graduate center, a proposed health and financial technology graduate education center in downtown Jacksonville. Okay, so it was a health that threw me off. Okay. Um. I think this comes about because we missed an opportunity with, with uh, that West Palm Beach received. They received $250 million in um, contribution. For, I think it was a state slash, I'm not sure exactly how. And I, I've actually asked for someone to give me the breakdown of how that came up to be. But in any event, it was bet- we had that opportunity, apparently, and we ignored it at the time. And so we've lost it. So now... Um, I think this is their effort to try to make it up to make Jacksonville. Up to Jacksonville is what I think. Because who, I mean, I'm going to, as a, you know, to vote on this, I'm going to have to know a little more detail. I mean, to, I mean, $20 million for what? 
can you tell me what? I mean, that's mm-hmm. what it, I don't really understand. It's this gray kind of for possibility we're looking into. I mean, what does that mean? I mean, typically you have a vision and you you have a white paper, if you will, of a business model that you intend to put forth and you and then you get financing for that. And right now I'm not seeing it. What are your thoughts as well about the howls of outrage we're hearing from UNF about this? I think it's fair. I mean, if we have a university in our community, we should be supporting that university. Fred Matthews. If I heard that correctly, they are looking to wedge part of this near the TIAA bank field. Did I hear that? It's, it's, it's one of the things, places yeah, they might the, be trying the, to wedge the fair, this into. Like uh, the fairgrounds parcel. Well, yeah. the, well, I mean, that's one of the first questions. Where's Where? I mean, we have the the, the, the fairgrounds are, go- are gone for all intents and purposes because of the training facility. On the other side of uh, the highway down A. Philip Randolph uh, Boulevard there, we've got, uh, what, an- another, uh, is that another soccer field that's coming in there? It's going to take up more parking. It's going to take away housing from the folks who are already there on the east side. And again, um, what is the point of this? We have a University of Florida presence here as we've had for some time now with the hospital systems, which uh, now they have a north side division that, that's up and, and in, 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 uh, in, in difference to the one that's downtown, caters to more folks that have insurance than the one that, do, uh, that are downtown. This is a slap in the face to the university systems that we have here in, in Duval County that are already servicing this particular need that is coming here and it just be like goes to the point what what's going to be any any different benefit from it are the tuition rates going to be any lower they have to be higher because it's going to be tech is it what's going to be the benefit for those here and it will be interesting to see which council member sponsors this bill to give away 20 million dollars to yet another essentially private developer uh, just because we may have some matching funds coming from from Tallahassee, if um, if uh, Legislator Duggan is uh, successful in getting this feather in his cap, but it's just one of those things that folk that that you just have to say why, what for? I mean, what what benefit is that going to be there? It's or maybe who's benefiting? A cynic might say. Amen. Uh, let's Amen. Uh, five four nine two nine three seven. Bob in Atlantic Beach. Hi, Bob. Good morning. Good morning. I uh, would like to comment that sometimes investing in things like this don't really have a great payback for the community. Um, I work with uh, a nonprofit that trains disadvantaged youth at risk. We get about 75 young people employed a year, um, and um, we don't get any tax dollars. And I kind of question why uh, a major university like this has to come to create a place in Jacksonville that's not unique, that is not doing something uh, very different from what's being done now, and get this kind of tax dollars. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh, Tim Gibbons, our business editor. Uh, Has the city and has the state representative, have they made the business case for this, given that these resources already exist at a a state university in Jacksonville. What what about this? I, I think that is a concept that 
I'm not sure if the organizers behind this were blindsided by it, but it, the the fervor which some people have pushed back on this has actually surprised me a little bit. Um, it, it reminds me of JEA in the sense of um, a, a institution that's kind of just part of the fabric of the city. You poke it and suddenly people are like, no, I love this thing. Um, people feel affronted on behalf of UNF. The idea that, oh, UF's going to come in. I think there was a sense that, oh, it's UF is, is coming to Jacksonville and you know putting its stamp of approval here. And UNF is part of the fabric of Jacksonville. And there are many, a uh, number of conversations I've had since the announcement of um, if you took $50 million or $100 million and put that into UNF, can you imagine what could blossom there? Um, is an idea that I, I don't know if that was in the minds of the people who proposed this. Yeah. The other thing I want to say just real quick is the, the way this has rolled out is just somewhat baffling of, you know, Mike Mendenhall at the Daily Record and David and, and others, the having to dig out every little drib and drab and where might it go and how much, how might it cost it, it is a really strange way to roll out what they're presenting as a massive project that doesn't really seem to be fully baked. We're hearing from local city council candidates all over the place today. Here's one, a tweet from council candidate John Phillips. He tweets the show Edward Waters University literally has students living in hotels near the airport and needs money for a dorm. UNF certainly needs more financial assistance from the city. We need more transparency on this funding. Shelton Hall, a sometime contributor to this show, says, Will the UF campus be allowed to have books? Just checking. <laughs> a little humor, a little humor from Shelton Hall. Thank you for that. Uh, uh, okay. Oh, by the way, we're uh, as someone's pointing out to me, UNF actually has students living in hotels too. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, Karen in San Marco. Go ahead, Karen. Yes, I keep thinking that this new educational piece is Curry's way of setting himself up for a brand new job. And that's all I have to say. Karen, thanks for that. Longtime observers of the local political scene in Duval might draw a similar conclusion, not necessarily. David Bauerlein? Oh, whether the Curry might have a job lined up at this? Uh, well, this whole thing's not going to be uh, fleshed out for several years, so who knows? <laughs> who knows? He is a UF alumni, I think. Uh, mm. And uh, it is always important, as someone said earlier, to follow the money and understand whose property is owned around some of these sites. So I think those are all legitimate questions that should be looked at. Um, you know, I, at some level, uh, my understanding is these programs are not offered right now in Jacksonville. If you want to get graduate level uh, training uh, degrees in these fields of, of uh, medical health and financial tech, it's not there. And so uh, at some level, uh, I understand that there's some uh, the UNF uh, pushback, but if you're in this field and you want to get advanced training, I don't think you really care whether it's UF or UNF who's doing it, if it's there in your neighborhood or in your mm -hmm. backyard. So, And is the argument on behalf of UF maybe that they just have uh, a, a better slate of experts to mount this kind of program, these kinds of programs? UNF obviously disagrees with that argument, but that may be the argument that supporters of this are making. The argument would be that UF is already a graduate, a, a graduate level institution on a national basis, and UNF is well known for its grad, uh, undergraduate mm -hmm. programs. But mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't mean it couldn't uh, it, it couldn't do its own center. I mean, uh, why, why 
can have more than one here, but UF itself, I think, is politically a bigger player in the state budget. It probably has more clout in terms of being able to move state money than UNF does. Uh, that certainly doesn't mean there couldn't be opportunities for the city and private donors to do more to help UNF expand and thrive. Ray emails the show, $50 million. Where is the money coming from? This is not fiscally conservative. Judy emails the show, Higher education is in an enrollment slump. We need more opportunities like this, but why do we need to build? Rent a space to pilot the idea if it's a truly good one. Ira on the South Side. Go ahead, Ira. Hey, thank you, Melissa. Uh, excellent panel. I uh, listened to the the Beaches uh, recording yesterday of the, of the city council people talking, and it came up several times that this money was coming from outside the city. And I just want to congratulate Channel 4's reporter, Jim Pickett, who did a really good Hunter Thompson uh, discussion with the former Senator Sass in the elevator when he was here talking to Mayor Curry. It doesn't make any sense to give up space and time and monies to anybody else. And I just would like to have the panel's understanding is, is anybody doing the Hunter Thompson Gonzo journalism to go find out where the money's coming from. Thank you. All right. Thank you. One more call and then we'll have to say goodbye to our panel. Michael on the South side. Hey guys, how are you this morning? Good. Go ahead. So uh, just two comments. One is, you know, the university of Florida already has a major presence in Shands. It's a teaching hospital that, you know, so there's already a UF presence downtown. The other is, you know, I went to school in Philadelphia and that metropolitan area has over 30 universities in that area. And it's nothing but a benefit to have smart people communicating across institutions. And I just think it'd be a wonderful thing to have more universities, more educators, and more students living and working in our city. Thanks for that. Uh, and thanks for everyone who uh, gave opinions on it. We'll follow it. And I want to thank our panel so much for being here. David Bauerlein, Randy DeFore, uh, our public official joining this morning, Fred Matthews, and Tim Gibbons. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Every weekend. Thank you. In a moment, well, you. rev your engines. Monster Jam is roaring into town. We'll speak with the driver next. Thank you, guys.
Every week, we round up the biggest stories affecting the Sunshine State. Hi, I'm Melissa Ross. And I'm Danny Rivero. Join us every Friday at noon for the Florida Roundup. We discuss the week's news across the Sunshine State, and we want to hear from you. Listen in and call in on the Florida Roundup. That's live at noon every Friday or anytime by searching the Florida Roundup on your favorite podcast app. On the Roundup this week... It's a tragedy. President Biden marks the one-year anniversary of Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine with a secret trip to Kyiv. In public, Donald Trump meets those impacted by Ohio's toxic rail disaster, and the Supreme Court comes clean about what it doesn't know. These are not, like, the nine greatest experts on the Internet. More next time on 1A. Today, starting at 10 on WJCT News 89.9. Monster Jam! Welcome back. Well, Monster Jam is roaring back into TIAA Bank Field this weekend. An action-packed event of family fun. And guess what? Tom Mintz, driver of the Max D truck, is here now in studio to tell us all about it. Hey, good morning. Great to be here. So excited. Yeah, we're excited to have you. So uh, tell us all about this year's Big Bash. It sounds like a lot of fun. Oh, it's going to be awesome. You know, one great big show for all our amazing fans, you know, and our fans are family. That's mm-hmm. the number one thing. It's family fun. Kids love it, you know, and the, the best kids that love it the most are the 85-year-old kids. <laughs> That's right. I know. It's so funny when the huge trucks are parked next door to our building here. People come from all over just to take pictures of them. It's amazing. I know. Just to see one up close is amazing. 12 foot wide, 12 foot tall, Yeah. 1,500 horsepower. I mean, these things are crazy, and they will fly sky high. And, you know, in the old days, they were more like a steamroller. Uh-huh. They used to roll out over the cars. Now they're more like a fighter jet airplane. Oh, they wow. fly around the stadium. You know, they're technologically advanced. And, and you're driving one. How do you do it? Tell us about your, your truck, the Max-D, and how you operate it. Well, the cool thing with Max-D this year is it's the 20th anniversary of Max-D, so we have a okay. special body design. It's Max D XX for 20 years. It's a lot, a lot of fire. You know, it's different than it's been in the past, but it's kind of a throwback to the past how it looked as well. Uh-huh. And that's really exciting. But, you know, driving that truck has been awesome. You know, being able to do it for 20 years is super rewarding. And to see all the wow. fans that come back bringing their kids and bringing their grandkids, uh-huh. that's the best. How'd you get into it? Oh, ever since I was 10 years old, I wanted to drive a Monster Jam truck. How do you do it? How do you get it? You know, mm-hmm. met the right people, worked extremely hard, got a lot of breaks, you know, and looked at that career, rode it all the way to the top, and that was 30 years ago. Wow. I've been driving for 30 years. You've got to be really athletic to do this, don't you? You work out with a trainer, I'm told, five days a week? Yes. I mean, you know, that's rough, too. <laughs> right there alone, <laughs> you know, core strength is huge, you know, having okay. a strong neck. Mm-hmm. Uh, cardio is always good as well. You know, keeping fit is what keeps you going. Now, have you ever had a bad crash or been hurt, anything like that? Not yet today, but yeah, I mean, definitely had a, you know, Monster Jam is tough. It's a rumble, yeah. you know, the bruises are real, but you know, with the modern safety technology of these amazing trucks, always came out just fine. 
How do they keep them safe? What kinds of tech do they use these days to there's protect so, you? Yeah, there's so much, you know, advancements have been huge over the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. You know, you got head and neck restraints for your helmet, hold your helmet. You know, you've got seats that are custom made just for the driver, fit them in every aspect. So yeah. if you were going to drive my truck, you would have your own seat we would put in it. You oh, know, wow. And, you know, and, and there course, are female drivers, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's not them. just for the guys. And, and, you know, that's one of my other jobs is I am the professor at Monster Jam University. I train drivers all off season. Yes. I've worked a lot of amazing men and women. Oh, wow. That's cool. (laughs) I think you'd be a fun professor or are are you tough on them? Uh, No, no, I'm not tough. (laughs) I just, but you know, I I tell them, you know, the number one goal is drive with your heart Mm -hmm. and always push to be more entertaining. It is entertainment. It's Mm -hmm. a spectacle. I it mean, is. you've got to entertain them. And it's always a huge sellout crowd. What do you, yeah. Why do you think people love it so much? It, I think it's a lot of things. I think they imagine their self driving the truck, mm-hmm. the Monster Jam truck. When they see it, they're like, man, how would I do that? That would be insane to be 30 foot off the ground, to do mm-hmm. a backflip in a 12,000-pound truck. That's just unbelievable to me, you know, and, and now we do them all the time. Now... Your truck is really popular. Of course, the Grave Digger, driven by Adam Anderson, that's a big uh, attraction. But there are a lot of attractions at this event. There is. You know, there's a lot of great equipment over there. You know, Megalodon, that's a shark-bodied truck. That's really cool. El Toro Loco has the horns and blows out the, you know, snorts out the nose. I mean, everything about it is entertainment. You know, we race as well. We do skills challenge competitions where whoever see who can have the coolest skill of the night. And then everybody's favorite is freestyle. Yeah. That's when you have two minutes at the end to see who can shine the most and be the most exciting. Now, what do you drive when you're not working? <laughs> What's your regular vehicle? <laughs> That's funny you say that. You okay. Know? Uh, I drive a 2003 Buick just because no it's, it's a cool ride and the Sabre. <laughs> I do. I have uh a couple nice vehicles. I have a nice 77 Ford pickup truck. Uh-huh. I make sure the wife drives a Range Rover. See, I got my priorities straight. Oh, very nice. Okay, anything else people need to know before they come out for Monster Jam? You know, you know number one is fun. And, it, you know, the pit party during the day is the coolest. You know, yeah. you get to come out and see your favorite trucks, meet your favorite drivers, get pictures, get autographs, touch those big tires, yeah. 2.30 to 5.30. You know, that's a good time for the fans to get a up-close look and meet their favorite drivers. Lots of tw- people tweeting about Monster Jam. They're excited. And I, w- I want to thank you. He is driver Tom Mintz, one of the attractions this weekend at TIAA Bank Field for Monster Jam. Tickets and info at monsterjam.com. Have fun and thank you so much. Cool. Great to be here and looking forward to seeing everybody at the event Saturday night, 7 o'clock. Come on out for it and have fun, folks. And thanks for listening. Thanks also to David Luckin, Heather Schatz, Brendan Rivers, Isabella De Silva, and Michelle Corum. I'm Melissa Ross. I'll be back with you today at noon for the Florida Roundup as we take your calls statewide on the biggest stories impacting Florida. In the meantime, make it a great Friday.
Support for First Coast Connect is provided by Baptist Health and the North Florida TPO.